Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my unfunny co-host, Jim Carr. You're still working on that funny thing, huh? You, you really think you're that funny, don't you? Well, today we're in our upscale studio, so you better watch what you say or you might get kicked out. Your, your wife likes me better than you, so I don't think she'll kick me out of your house. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so, Jim, what is your familiarity with a franchise? Well, I used to work at McDonald's back okay. in the mid-70s, so I know okay. that. I give my money to franchise businesses to like Starbucks. Dunkin Donuts and Starbucks. Well, I don't think Starbucks is a franchise. I think that's, those are corporate-owned stores. Okay. So like an actual franchise Subway. typically is when they have a franchisee and they give them processes and branding and everything that the local entrepreneur can, can utilize, although there's you know some different definitions to franchises. Right. So my, my family actually used to own a franchise. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, it was called T-Shirts Plus. So I worked in a mall. I used to fold up T-shirts and what them mall? in little triangles. Stratford Mall in Bloomingdale. Oh, I know where yeah. that's at. Yeah. yeah. So, And I'm actually working on a franchise model for my industry, kind of something I've been working on Well, maybe you years. could fold the Making Chips T-shirts. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. My T-shirt folding days are over. I used to know how to use that folding board, but not anymore. But today, that we're actually- That is funny to think you folding T-shirts. Well, I mean, it was that's a family my, business. You yeah. Know, so, you got to do what you got to do. Franchise. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, today we're going to actually talk about can you franchise a machine shop? And you you would think intuitively what? Yeah, uh, uh, challenging. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. It is manufacturing is challenging, right? But to you franchise know, a challenging industry or a business. I don't know. At making chips, we always want to think differently, and we, we want do. to kind of say, "Well, you that's the way people would guest? intuitively think." But you know, let's try to think differently about it. And we brought me? a guest with to, to talk about it. He's going to tell us how to franchise machine shops. We're going to talk about machine shops and franchising, so okay. it should it should be interesting. Yeah, well, I look forward to hearing our guest's opinion on creating a challenging franchise in a challenging industry. So it sounds like it's going to because be because manufacturing is challenging, <laughs> very challenging. But anyway, speaking of challenging, we, we're both in the industry. What keeps you awake at night, Jason? Honestly, what's keeping me up at night right now is my new ERP implementation. Really? Yeah. Well, you know. It's one of these situations where we're, you know, we're very dependent on our ERP. Processes are changing. People used to come to work and go through their routines, and now they don't have the same routines. It's either more steps, different steps. Some things are harder. Some things are easier. It's stressful right now. So, and we're busy, and so we're implementing this ERP system so that we can allow our clients, and we have thousands of, of clients to self-service to order online to look up things themselves so that we can deliver to them what they demand. We have a certain segment of our of our customer base. We talked about customer behavioral groups and a certain customer base like possibly Car Machine and Tool and Ryan Carr. He does not want to communicate with us in the same way that we used to communicate with all of our clients. So we need to keep up with the times. And so we're implementing that and it's keeping me up at light a little bit. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. What about you? What's keeping you up at night? Right now Deliveries, okay. Deliveries, and, you're busy. That's and, good. You know, I, I, I know you're going to laugh, but I really think a lot about our corporate culture mm-hmm. and keeping that really high because that's really important to me. It's not easy. You got to keep on. It's not easy. It. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I easy. talked about that previously. That sometimes when you get busy, you it goes it by wanes. the wayside and it wanes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of in that mode right now, and I need to get back. Yeah. Well, it's an, ours doesn't go anywhere, but I'm definitely trying to keep the culture high. So. Yeah. 
And I'm glad to announce that my ERP system is not at Great. all keeping me awake good. at night. It's good to hear. Actually, it's helping me sleep. So Good. Yeah. That's awesome. And, yeah. I, and I hope to be there soon. You will. You will. You just got to dig in and, and get, get, get it, it done. done. Get it done. What's going? I know you hang out at the bar all day long, Nick. What's new at the bar? Yeah, Nick. Well, tell we, us what's on tap today. Yeah, we hang out at the Boring Bar, which right now is just a digital thing. It's our newsletter, but very soon it'll be a real Boring Bar. Are we going to apply for a liquor license and actually own a bar in Rockford, Illinois? Well, we probably have you to. Better to edit this everybody. out. <laughs> yeah, we were going to do it on the low, but now that you told everyone, yeah. we, we probably have to do it legally. It's not open for public. No. But yeah, when the new Making Chips headquarters is done, the Boring Bar will be a real thing. As like right invite now, only, you have to have a membership. Yes. Right now, it's, it's just private. a newsletter. And what you can get in the newsletter is a contribution from what we call chip-in contributors. There are other manufacturing leaders in, in the industry who can equip and inspire you with their expertise. And then it's, it's an article written by someone on the team, and then it's a bit of manufacturing news. And today, you're going to talk about the manufacturing news, right? I am, yeah. And make sure you have some Belgium strong ales at that boring bar, okay? I will, I will. So yeah, in the manufacturing news today, I thought that this was really relevant, and I didn't even know anything about this. The American, Mexican, and Canadian lawmakers will soon have an opportunity to vote on a new massive trade deal that replaces NAFTA. And this one is called USMCA. <laughs> I mean, the, the USMCA. USMCA? So, do you think people will say it like that? I don't know. It was NAFTA. And <laughs> you I thought USMCA was you know, just the natural way to say it. But it's the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. And I wonder if they fought over the order that that was going to go into. It's definitely not in alphabetical order. No, it's not. No. So, But this is going to replace NAFTA. As you know, everybody's aware, Trump has not been a fan of NAFTA. The world has changed in the last 25 years. And really? <laughs> a little bit. And we need to change with the times, and our agreements with our partners need to change with the times. So I think all three countries are ready for this change, and I think that we really do need to be partnered up with each other because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but, I mean, I enjoy my Canadian and my friends from Mexico, so I'm happy that we're going to be doing this. So, Well, what uh, I like about it is... The article mentioned like way more American jobs, specifically manufacturing jobs. So yes, that's, that's a yes. huge win for I think there's a big focus on manufacturing and agriculture. So I'm happy. Be, I eat a lot of avocados, and apparently this is going to make avocados less expensive. So I'm I'm they are I'm stoked about that. Yeah, what are they yeah. pitching? I have not really proofed it all that much. So what 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 are they saying? Jim, they're not asking for you to proof what this is, bill, but what you know. are they? What is the objective? What what are we going to end up they're, doing? They're just they're changing. So lawmakers will it will create laws in order to have a desired result. So what, for what example, is that desired you, result? Me, I'll just give you like a like yeah. a like a silly example, and I'm totally just making this up. We may create a law to tax or to create a tariff on Mexican avocados because the Californian avocado growers are complaining that the Mexican avocados are too cheap. So we create this law, and it makes them same price and. Times change and desires change and the world changes and agriculture changes, manufacturing changes. And so this USMCA is going to change the way that we should be operating in this current environment. And I don't even know what I said about avocados is true, but it is, this is just one way of kind of trying to dummy it down and explain it differently. So here's an example of what's actually proposed in the USMCA. It requires 75% of a vehicle's parts to be manufactured in North America to qualify for tariff-free treatment. 
So that's up from the current requirement of 62.5%. So that's great. So, you know, if the parts aren't being made here in the United States, they're going to be made in, you know, Mexico or Canada. And and that means they're closer to us. And so there's probably going to be other service providers that are going to benefit from this. It also dictates that 40 to 45% of auto content sold in North America be manufactured by workers earning a minimum of $16 an hour. So what that will eliminate is the disparity between, say, like the United States workers and the worker in another country. And it will incentivize companies to manufacture more vehicles and vehicle parts at their U.S. and Canadian factories. Mm-hmm. That's and, the information I was looking for. Yeah. You weren't concerned with avocados? Well, we're just hoping you don't no, you're not a, You're not as big a fan of avocados. I do avocados like avocados, but I'm, do you like a, them as little, much as I'm I do? a little bit more concerned about our country than avocados. Oh, when you get see, done I really like avocados. This, so, I, know you're you a little, know. I know you're a little selfish. Are you going to... You're not going to no, veto I just really this. like avocados. When you proof this thing, you're not going to like veto it or anything. He's going to call Trump and say, I've got this problem There's a couple things I don't like Ready, but that's I'm okay. pretty sure I, it's not, a good thing for manufacturers. Yeah, but. we'll see. I don't All right, know. Let me let me talk about one last thing. So they do have things that are related to what they're calling mom and pop shops. I hate that term, but so basically I. small, medium sized businesses. So there's an entire chapter devoted to small and medium sized businesses, and it includes provisions that cut down on the paperwork for express shipments valued below $2,500 and eliminate duties and tariffs on all shipments up to 40 Canadian dollars, which is 30 American dollars, lower costs and and administrative hassles. So, which is, that's a great thing because I don't know about you, but administrative costs really bog me down. I don't like them. So I don't export anything at this point, but if, if we can move more into an environment of less administration, I'm all for it. Good stuff. Yeah. So if you want to hear more about the Uskmaka and other things <laughs> from the Boring Bar, just subscribe at makingchips.com to get the freshest Making Chips content delivered into your inbox every week. And that was word for word what Nick told me to say. <laughs> Good job. So Jim, can you introduce our guest today? I would be happy to. I would be happy to. So we have in our studio today a friend of Making Chips. He certainly is a metalworking veteran having started his own machine shop way back in 1997 with six of his college buddies. Today, we've invited him back to continue his intriguing story as the president of Pro Shop ERP. Paul Van Meter, welcome again to the Making Ship Studio. Thank you, guys. Welcome, I'm Paul. super pumped to be here. It's so much fun to hang out with you all. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, and, likewise. And, and you know, as Jim said, Paul really does have a great story. And we're not going to tell that story. We want to reintroduce Paul to the Metalworking Nation, but we're not going to retell that whole story because you can go back to makingchips.com slash 98 to hear Paul's story. And then you can also go back to makingchips.com slash 156, where Jim does an episode without me. I think it was still good, even though I wasn't there because Paul was there. But well, we had you know, Ryan I did, Carr on. Yeah, I did, Ryan so. did good. Ryan, yeah, Ryan I did really cry did. a little bit when he did that episode without me. So, But like I said, we want to reintroduce Paul to the Metalworking Nation. Go back and listen to those two episodes. They're great episodes. So, Paul, franchising. You know, when you say franchising and machine shops, what exactly do you mean? Yeah, that freaks me out, man. It's supposed to be a little bit of a compelling statement, but no, the idea is not actually to build a machine shop franchise and actually start multiple versions of the same shop. I think it would be amazing if someone was bold enough to try to do that, but the idea is actually to design a franchise prototype. We all know what prototypes are in the manufacturing business, right? It's the the features you want to put into it before you make a whole bunch more. And the idea is that if we build a franchise of our business and we build the systems to be repeatable and understandable and easy to follow, 
then that one location is going to run as smoothly and profitably as possible. Makes sense. I mean, you want to have those repeated processes in your business. I know, Jim, you know, you just recently got a big job and you want to make sure that for quality reasons, for running as lean as possible, that you spent a lot of times tweaking that product and making sure that you did it as best as possible. So you want to make sure that that's repeated over and over again the same way. So is that kind of what you're talking about, where it's more like about the job or is this bigger than that? It covers the whole range, but the main thrust of it is the the business processes, the, the highest level business process. Starting at the highest level. I, I'm going to just jump in Go here ahead. real quick. So Paul, when you say, when I think of a franchise, again, we think of McDonald's, we think of Subway, we think of fast food restaurants. Obviously, you don't really mean to take that business model and duplicate it over in a machine shop environment. I'd like to know kind of what you're thinking when you say you, you want to convert those processes over. And you're talking about the repeatability, the redundancy of the day-to-day thing. You want to refine those processes from what we see at Subway, from what we see at McDonald's, from what we see at Wendy's, over into the machine shop process where we do an estimate. It converts to a quote. It converts into a work order. It converts into a part level. We want to have all that pull through and all of those redundancies flowing in one direction. So when my parents opened up their T-Shirts Plus store, they were handed a binder and they were sent in a bunch of stuff and they said, put the store together like this and operate the store like this. And if you have a question, go to this binder. I mean, it was probably several binders or something like that. Is that similar to what you're referring to? Yeah, absolutely. The goal that we're trying to get out of this, and I I also want to be super clear, this is not my concept. This is actually from a book that we read really early in the days that we built our shop called The E-Myth Revisited. Didn't you mention that book uh, on a Michael previous Gerber. episode? It's a very famous book. It's probably one of the, it was pre-traction, uses some similar concepts. I've been to one of their trainings like eons ago and yeah, I it, it's a big it. proponent of that, but go ahead, Paul. So we've just kind of taken some of those principles and morphed them into kind of the machine shop business. But what we're really going for is getting sort of the same outputs of what a franchise delivers, and that would be consistent value, the lowest labor cost that you can possibly get away with, within reason, of course, sort of an impeccably organized company, and a really documented workflow that produces a predictable product. And that product, of course, we want all our machine parts and our fabricated parts to be consistent, but we also want every touch point that we have with a customer to be consistent. So the way you answer your phone, the way you confirm orders, the way you present your quotes, you know, all those things should be customizable to the customer, but in a, in a way that's consistent that they feel comfortable with because people like consistency. And they feel like the next time you answer the phone, the next time that they receive their parts it's going to be as expected. Yep. I know, Jim, you take great pride in packaging beautifully. You know, I do. You, you've seen, I've seen pictures on yep. your website. That's just an example. You, know, you have designed the process of how you want to package those parts, and that's the car way. Right. Well, it's part of our branding. It's part of our differentiator. It's part of our unique service that we offer our clients. And I know some customers value that immensely. So Jim, you know, you're growing your business, we're growing our business, and you can only increase your capacity so much within the facility that you have. I mean, you right. could obviously yeah, run a second shift, but that comes with its 
difficulties as well. So if you had to take that same footprint because your output had to double, this would probably be a good way in order to say, okay, how do we do this exactly the way that we're doing it now in a different location? Let's get another building the exact same size. Let's put the same machines and let's follow the same processes. Is that is that kind of what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, I definitely like to think of it if you were going to open another branch of your business, even just the next town over, but you weren't there to actually do all the setup and someone else was doing it for you, how would they know what to do to produce the same output that you produce in your current facility? And, and most people are not even operating that way in their current business as well as they could. So to think about it from that perspective, you'll make, even if you never open up the second shop, you'll probably make some huge drastic improvements and that's exactly to the your point. current location. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. So what I think you're saying, Paul, is much like we know traction and the EOS, which is a systematized way to run your business, what you're proposing through ProShop ERP is a systemized way to run your business. It would run parallel with EOS because it's the actual manufacturing part of it, whereas EOS is the way to approach problems, issues, and vision and direction with your company. Yeah. So like if a guy in Texas said, I'm a machinist, I want to start my business, but I don't know how to run a business, but I listen to you guys, I'm making chips for years and I want to run it like you run it. Your franchise could simply be, this is this is the operating agreement that we have if you were to take over this business and you're telling them kind of like a franchise how to how to run that. So I mean it, it it's it's certainly possible. So certainly are you possible. are you flexible Paul like what comes to my mind is Jason said okay we, they dropped off a binder and it said this is how you run run the business. So we've got like a bunch of different business units but they all run off of the same operating system. But mm-hmm. you know it's the product is a little bit different and the customer might be a little bit different and they they share some resources in the shop. Does this kind of franchise thinking apply if the businesses aren't identical? Yeah, it absolutely does, of course. So the idea is that typically the owner of a business, you know, especially in the manufacturing industry, they were a technician of some kind, right? You were a machinist or a programmer, you felt like you could do a better job than your boss, so you, you know, got a loan and you or got friends and family money and you opened up a shop. Sounds like ninety percent of the stories out there. Absolutely. And there's so much more to running a business than the technical side of it. And most most technical people really don't understand that. And they just start running their business the best they can, but they don't have a business process to grow and scale their business with. So they're running around like chickens with their head cut off, you know, trying to fight every fire and do every little detail. And they're just kind of working themselves to death. And they've just kind of bought themselves an, uh, even a, lot, a crazier job than they had before. So if you can start to document what you do and there's you know there's a whole big system to this but document what you do define those business processes it's much easier than to hire people into backfill those roles so you can work on more strategic important things and you can multiply that many times over until you you know have a much larger organization so what are the the core principles of this model basically it's to have a very process based approach to how you run your business. To everything. To everything. Okay. How, how you, you answer the phone, how you quote a job, how you accept a job, how you ship a product yep. out. How you store your fixtures, how you do your programming, how you manage your cutting tools. All of those things can be built into systems. We want to have really well-defined roles for the employees. So when we hire someone, 
we say, this is what the job is we're hiring you for. This is the expectations. These are the metrics for good performance and poor performance. Have really robust training. Everyone knows it's hard to find good employees these days. So you got to bring that in-house and sort of train people in, to use your shop, Jim, as, as an example, you know, train those employees in the car machine way of doing things. So yeah, having robust training, of course, having very standardized work. What do you mean by standardized work? That's actually kind of a lean principle and lean uh, definition. Let's say you talk about the way that you set up a machine tool. You have a very standardized way that you prep the job, you bring it to the machine, you load it all in, you load your programs, you get ready to, to cycle start. Making sure everybody in your company is doing it the same way as the way you say you do it, that's a standardized process. Making sure the systems you're designing are scalable. Today, you might have five employees or 10, but imagine if you wanted to have 50 or 100. You don't want to design systems that aren't going to be able to work at a bigger scale. What did that look like when you owned your, your machining company? What did that? Because you scaled up to 75 people, right? Yeah. And, and what did that look like as you were scaling? What difficulties did you run into and how did you make that scaling possible? Because that does get overwhelming to, to think about that, to do it effectively, to do it cost effectively. Because I know like as I've grown my company, I feel like I could have done it better. I could have done it more cost effectively. So how did you do it? Well, we definitely could have done it better. <laughs> I mean, oh, in right. Hindsight. In retrospect, I'm sure. Should have, would have, could have. There's so many mistakes we made. Oh, it's of just course. ridiculous. We almost went out of business several times. No, really? That <laughs> well, sounds like a good story over a bottle of wine. <laughs> we'll get to that tonight. Okay. But well, after reading this book, and I think it's just the way we were as a group of people as well, we were very much process-based. We were all about designing the way we wanted our company to run to produce a consistent output. And, and then we built our software to help with that because we couldn't find any software that would do it for us. But the key was just having that mentality of being process-based, being very f- focused on efficiency and lean, and just continuously improving the company always. And that's also the last principle that that, that you came yep. up with, with, which is continuous improvement. Absolutely. It's okay. got to be a foundational principle. Great. You mentioned that consistency in the way that you operate as a company and that helps you to, to grow. But what are the other benefits that looking at your business from a franchise perspective is going to deliver to the business owner or to the business? I alluded to those just a little bit earlier. What we're really wanting to do is produce an extremely predictable output to our customers and designing a system that produces that results. And then the people are the ones that run that system. So you you hire people into a system and they have to, you know, you got to have good people. I'm not saying that you could just hire anyone off the street, but right. You can't, you can't hire somebody off the assembly line at McDonald's and say, here's how you do pro shop and expect them to be successful, right? It's just not going to work. They have to have no, a skill that, set. <laughs> I have a funny story. I was at a customer <laughs> in the Portland area a couple of weeks ago, and there was a night shift guy, and, and, and I was in there doing some some work, and I said, hey, what, where did you come from before this? He said, oh, I worked at KFC. And I said, yeah. oh, I'm not familiar with that shop. And he said, no, I mean Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> That's, <awesome. laughs> That's where That's I used great. to work. No. But he was running their night shifts, running mills, lathes, Swiss machines. So he found his passion. He did. Yeah, he did. And, he, awesome. and, he, and he probably, going from that lowest level of skill, he probably was able to move up in the company that much quicker because that company had taken that franchise approach to the way that they operate. 
Yeah, they yeah they they use ProShop and and they've made huge strides in in making their company much more process based. And yeah, they could take someone from a fast food joint and plug them into showing them how to run machines and train them quickly and make them productive. So Jim, we talked about how Zengers is operating their ERP system so we can offer that online experience for our clients. But when you told me that you actually use your ERP system pro shop in discussions with your clients, I was like, really? A machine shop utilizing their ERP system with perspectives and their clients? Tell me about that. Well, it's kind, it's kind of unique, but what we're doing now when we're doing a lot of prospecting with new OEMs to do business with, we, we get them on a video chat. And we share our screen and we let the ProShop ERP system be part of the sales feature. I take them through the entire estimating process. I show them how the throughput of the work comes in as an estimate and all the way out to when we finish and ship the job. Every single operation is itemized within the ERP system. There's times involved for setup, minutes run per part checking the part. So you think it's just, it's, it's just a higher level of professionalism that most machine shops aren't doing? Bingo. And the thing is too, it's cutting out all the nonsense and it's just, it's making everything black and white. And you know what? At the end of the day, Jason, the numbers don't lie. So if you can show somebody the numbers, they're going to believe you. So go to ProShop ERP, talk to our good friend Paul Van Meter there. He'll be happy to hook you up with some kind of demonstration. So I'm not just telling... Tell them making chips sent you. ProShop ERP. Let's talk about, about process. When you have a described process, it just to me, it seems so daunting because of the detail that would have to go into documenting every single process. And I do understand and I agree with the reason why we do have a lot of, in, in traction terms, we, you know, it's called FBA, followed by all. And we do have that. We have a lot of FBA processes and my people follow those and they do things consistently. But there's probably a lot more things that should be documented that aren't because I have a lot of people that are veteran in my company and they know what they're doing and I don't have to train them how to do it. But where does a manufacturing leader start if they don't have everything detailed, processed, written down in order to get there? Because it just seems like a daunting task. Yeah, there's no doubt it it definitely takes work. I just want to be clear, I'm not recommending people add a bunch of different new steps to their process. It very likely needs some tweaking to refine it and make it more efficient. But it's just about taking the time to document what you do. And it will take a bit of time to do that. But I can promise you it's actually so much easier once you actually have done that documentation. And then you can start to offload that to other people and get yourself out of that strictly technician role and working as more of a manager on your business. Do you think that you ask your team to document the processes? Do you, as a manufacturing leader, say, show me how you do things and I'm going to document this. Do you, what, what's the best approach to, to getting that, th- those processes documented? Yeah, it's definitely got to be a team effort. If you're a one-man shop, you're the only one that's going to write things. But as you hire employees... So we've uh, got like 45 people. Jim's got a bunch of people. You know, when you have a lot of people, like everybody's doing their jobs. So like, you know, where do you start if you have a team? 
Well, hopefully in your case, you can have all 45 of your folks sort of take that tribal knowledge out of their heads and actually plug it into your ERP system so that as people move up in the company into different roles or they, they leave or they retire, that tribal knowledge is not leaving with them. And they, you can continue to run your, your company in a really consistent manner with excellence. And I think it's important to have the right people in the right seat that are going to understand how to use the ERP system efficiently and adequately. Let's face it, at the end of the day, it's not easy to convert over. It does take a little bit of time, energy, and effort. Have you documented more processes at Car Machine after implementing ProShop, taking this franchise model? Oh my God, model? serious. I mean, we can talk about it in, an, in another episode, but infinitely more documentation goes on. I have to tell you, it did seem very daunting at the beginning. And Paul and I had a a serious conversation on the phone once and I wasn't stepping up. I was the I one that I was resisting. You, you didn't mention that exactly. And I, had I, my, I, I had my come to come moment, to come to Paul moment. <laughs> and they're like, you better get on it. And I needed that push. But I'm telling you, once I started, I don't know how we could ever go back. But Jim, you had a you had a way that you were doing something, right? Were you just not documenting it and standardizing it? We were, it? but it was just all over the place. Yeah. It was in Word, it was Excel, it was on Google Sheets, it was on a Google Doc, it was it was in OneDrive, it was on our network, our shared network, it was on somebody's desktop, it was on somebody's thumb drive. It was all over the place. There was there was not one place for all of this data to go. And yes, it wasn't easy to understand the concept of it beginning because it was new. It was especially for me, you know, I'm a veteran guy. You know, it took me a little bit of time. But let me tell you, I it's it's a win-win now. Did you, Jim, take the lead role in in documenting everything or did your team you know, what was the split? Was it 80-20 you? What you know, because I know they're all busy trying to get parts out the door, setting up jobs and everything. Well, Ryan Carr was the one that I would say took a bigger leadership role in the implementation. But at the end of the day, everybody has to be on the same page or else it's, you're not going to be successful. But we have weekly meetings. We have about five to 10 minutes of our weekly production meeting where we talk about ProShop. It's part of our weekly st- show structure and we share. Jason, what did you learn this week about ProShop that you want to share with the entire team so we can all learn from each other? Because everyone's touching different components of the system on a weekly basis. And if you teach me something about the system that I had no idea, or I teach something to somebody, because there's so many ways you can get to information and data Sometimes you're just going to streamline that process of pointing to where you want to get to faster. Well, I appreciate the comments. I genuinely do. But I just want to make sure that we don't, well, that it's clear that, you know, any company with any business tools, software, whether it's all Excel-based, Word-based, whatever, they can make their company more like a franchise prototype to run it more smoothly. They could do it from a binder, as you mentioned. So the principles are really universal, regardless of how you execute it. But we did design ProShop with this whole concept in mind because when we were building our company and needed some tools to organize all the details and sort of build the system around, we just couldn't find anything that was good enough for it. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's good feedback. One of the principles that you discussed regarding this franchise concept is continuous improvement. I know that that's one of our mantras at Zangers is that we are a service provider and we get hired by our customers in order to continuously improve their manufacturing processes. 
what did it look like at your shop in order to make those continuous improvements? Like why did the franchise model add to that continuous improvement principle? I don't think they're incompatible. I'm not sure the franchise model has that as one of its most important principles, but it's critical. I mean, I'm sure, you know, every Subway and McDonald's, they study the way they do things and they're always trying to make it better and faster. But we went all in on lean early on in the in our company's history. And I got to give my partner, Kelsey, credit for that. He really, he was our lean champion. He was fully passionate about it. And we went in with value stream mapping of the entire process, documented exactly how it it works, take out lots of steps. It's amazing when you go through a defined process of, of looking at your value stream. Yeah, There's you don't of, know what you can yeah, do and like, make why improvements do we, Why are we doing this step? Why are we printing this paper and giving it to this person and it's sitting on their desk for two days? Right? There's so many things like that that you can just eliminate and streamline the process. We did Kaizen newspapers. We had several in the company. We had them in programming. We had them out in the production area and the prototype department in the office. That was, I'd say that was one of our biggest successes. We did thousands of small, tiny little lean improvements all the time. Yeah, I've never heard that Kaizen newspaper. I hear Kaizen all the time. My brother's a continuous improvement guy, but what's the right. newspaper? Thing? Yeah, I've never the, heard the that The newspaper either, concept is basically have a board, an actual big sheet of paper in the areas where people are working. And we would train all our employees on the, the seven wastes of the Toyota production system. And as they recognize, when they learn these well enough, as they're doing their job, they are, they're going to say, oh, I just realized I'm doing overproduction right now, or I'm, I just made a defect. And then they write down what that defect is and why they just did that, what just happened to make them cause that, that waste. And then you know, over the course of the week, you'll have several new entries on there. And then we had a team that would meet for about 30 minutes every week, and they would talk about it. They would assign levels of importance, and then they would, they would all sort of take problems, and then they'd go solve those things. We even had a requirement to track at least 5% of your time on, on Kaizen activities. So those company. were people that were dedicated to making those improvements? No, those were machinists, those were inspectors, oh, okay. those were, everyone in the company had to spend 5% of their time doing continuous improvements. Okay, so they went outside of their normal day-to-day job in order to make those continuous improvements. Yep, yep. Sometimes it would be a machinist has a super long cycle time, so they get their machine running and then they go work on improving the fixture area. Or, you know, someone in estimating might, you know, when they're done with a hot estimate, they might take 30 minutes to just go do this improvement activity to make the, you know, the office better. That's a great idea. It really is a great idea. I mean, it it sounds awesome. Maybe it's something we should implement a car machine. I would love to show yeah, you how we did it. Yeah. yeah. So I want to move on to the profit part because that's at the end of the at the end of the day. That's why we're all in business is to make money and make show profits at the end of the year. Well, I'm I'm only in business so that I can talk to you on a weekly basis. I'm making chips. Jim. I, do we talk to you weekly? Do we talk at weekly? Least, yeah, at least, least at least. Yeah, oh no, gosh. we do. I'm just kidding, but. I appreciate that, Jason. On the the car machine side, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's really the company that's paying the lighting bill, the mortgage, the real estate taxes, the bottles of wine. I was going to say, there's got to be a wine bill yeah. in there somewhere. So, but at the end of the day, so Paul, you you have for discussed. me, it's diapers. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it is, Jason. The money for diapers. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been there, Paul. You have discussed with us a methodical approach to growing profit. How did you do that in your machining business, and how does ProShop help facilitate that profit growth? First of all, 
focusing on, and every manufacturing company has to do this because it's so competitive, at just being incredibly efficient at every single thing you do. And we built systems in our own shop and then ultimately into ProShop on focusing on profit. We wanted to make it super easy to know exactly what all your job costs were. And of course, streamline the process all the way from estimating and quoting through programming and making parts and shipping them and outside processes and everything in between. But one of the biggest things that actually helped our shop was once we had built the tools to easily see the profitability of our jobs, and it didn't take a ton of work to try to figure it out, because if it takes a lot of work, you're not actually going to do it. I mean, I don't know how many shops I talk to that don't actually know which jobs are profitable and which ones are not. And we've all heard of the 80-20 rule, right? Yeah, I, I, I saw that in your notes. I've heard of that. But why don't you explain it to me? So the 80-20 rule is, uh, sort of applies to all sorts of things. In this case, 80% of your profits are being derived by 20% of your jobs. But the opposite is also true. 20% of your jobs are causing 80% of your losses. Once we had an easy way to look at profit, we sort of kicked off this initiative called Kill the Losers. <laughs> and so we methodically, every time a job would ship, we would just look at the profit and then we would drill into the numbers. And I'm sure now that you're using ProShop, you know how easy that is. It's very you easy. You can see who did the setup, who did the programming, any NCRs that were made, and dial in and figure out, did we, did we do something wrong in this job? Or is this just price too low? Right. Or was it a one-time thing? Right. Or is there... So there's, that there's we can so many variables on that. Paul. So many, so, so many. many. So first and foremost, I think, did I underestimate the job? Was there so, was there a setup that I missed? Was there a particular material that I didn't know? Like if it was 300 series stainless steel, it's going to cut a lot slower. And then I think, well, was the setup guy having a bad day? Did something happen in the programming process? It's really hard to articulate exactly where that bad job came from. And then the other thing too is, did we quote the job a little bit too low to get in with that tier two, tier one customer just to make a splash for repeatability? And I know in ProShop, there's a checkbox that said taken as a loss. Yep. I've never checked that box yet <laughs> okay. because I typically don't like to take a job at a loss just sure. because to say I did. And you know I'm working with Boeing now. Mm. But that's really interesting. Yes, I have heard about the 80-20 rule. I just didn't hear it defined like that. Okay. I, I do have a question about this because... I'm going through this. You know, I mentioned before we've got thousands of customers. We we bought this ERP system specifically because we needed to allow our customers to be able to self-service themselves. But we probably do fall within that 80-20 rule, if not even more extreme tighter. But I just had a conversation. I just had an opportunity the other day. I met with a prospective client who told me a story about how I used to buy these ceramic inserts from your competitor and they told me that I no longer could be a client of theirs because I didn't buy enough. So I started buying these from you and now, you know, we've been taking lots of small orders from them over the years. Now we have this gigantic opportunity with them. So how do you balance the kill the losers and just maintaining maybe like a smaller relationship or a smaller job that leads to things that are bigger in the future. Did you have like a tactical way or maybe some knowledge you can share with how, how, how you accomplish that? Yeah, I think what's really important when you, when you go into this kill the losers meeting and you're trying to figure out what happened is everyone has to let their guard down, be humble, and see that 
if they made the mistake, first of all, own if they made a mistake. Say, yeah, I just I was having a bad day. I totally messed this up. Sometimes next that time, happens, man. Next time, I think instead of a three-hour setup, I can get this done in 45 minutes. Exactly. But what if it's just a customer who goes to you for the jobs that you're not making money on? Do you, do you so, continue to maintain I mean, that's that a more strategic, longer-term decision. And So you're talking about just killing jobs, basically. Or customers. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes we would realize that, you know, there's just this customer doesn't, doesn't have any... There's not enough profit. There's they don't an, respect you. Yeah. That's, that's they're, the, not it, they're, they're not a good fit. They're not a good fit. fit. So Absolutely. were you genuinely killing 80% of your customers who are not contributing to your yeah. or to the bottom line? Yeah. It I mean, scares me a little bit. I we gotta be honest. We weren't you know? getting rid of 80% of our customers, but the customers that had the most unprofitable work, we either got rid of the work or repriced it or said, sorry, it's just not a good fit for you know what you need and what we are providing. Even if maybe you had a profitable job that went along with it. You have the occasional one, but they're such a pain in the butt that you you know they're taking know, hours exactly. and hours and hours of your 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 day and because this your kill attention. the losers thing. I mean, I, I feel like we should have an entire episode I about think, this. It's I a think it's our a very business models are a little different. No, it is, but they're still but like you know. Yes, but it's the business that still applies. I think to every single business out there. You I know? thought firing customers yes, sounded exactly, harsh. Now yes. we're talking about killing customers, and this is <laughs> yeah. where's it going to go? Bringing it back to the franchise idea. It's important to document how you analyze job profitability and and put in place some guidelines for how you're even going to decide what to do with the with the data that you figure out. Yeah. Right. And and I can see where the franchise model works really well because like, you know, for somebody like me to really dummy this down, like Starbucks, I go to Starbucks once a month. There's probably people that go once a day. And they're probably the ideal Starbucks customer, but they've created a process and a system within their company where they could still be profitable on my business as well as sure. that person that's coming in there every single day. And one of the reasons you go there every every month you go is because they have a consistent product, you like the atmosphere, you get treated nicely. Any Starbucks you go into, you you're going to get that same positive app. experience. Yeah. yeah, They make it very easy to do business with them. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that as a business owner, I need to be working on my business instead of in my business, but I keep getting caught up with tasks. You know, I have my coding jobs. I have my, no, I have my notebook with me. I'm constantly writing down those tasks, those redundant things over and over and over again. What do I do? Why is it important? And what should I be focused on? Where do I start to get there? Let's take a scenario. Someone, a customer, an employee comes to you and asks you to do something urgent, or there's an emergency that comes across you know, your desk. Right. What is your gut reaction to do? Quickly analyze the urgency of that particular task and kind of like rate it in my head. So I've got my list of things on my desk that I have to get done that are all prioritized and they're moving constantly. Yep. So my dad used to tell me I'd, I'd be in the office and one of the machinists would come in the office and say, I got a problem. Quote unquote, I got a problem. It's the entrepreneur's favorite. It's the phrase. worst. It's the worst. And so I kind of like figured this guy out, and he always used to, he always used to make his problems super urgent. And, and I'd your run. I you know it, in the early days, I'd get up really quick from my desk, and I'd be panicking because I don't know if somebody just spill cut their your hand coffee off. on your lap, and you you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I try to get a little bit of insight to that urgency. And I say, tell me what's the problem before I get up from my desk and go out there. So I analyze it quickly in my head in just a few seconds. And I say, if it's something like somebody 
just had a really big issue, I would get up immediately and run out. Otherwise, I feel like in a few seconds, I can analyze the urgency of that request and I can go out or I'll say, I'll be out there in just a few minutes. I need to make a phone call and I'll be happy to help you with that problem. Sure. So that's that's how I do it. That's good. I mean, it's good to prioritize. That's really important. But by then trying to go and solve that problem, you are just perpetuating your busyness and the same reason they came to you in the first place. So what I would suggest is that you need to first ask, why is this a problem? And what system can I put in place to make sure someone doesn't have this problem again and come ask me for the solution? Oh, like what is the UPS collect account number for that customer that I'm shipping the job to? Well, Johnny, if you look in ProShop under the contacts, guess what? There's the UPS collect account number that they should be doing. So yeah, I, I, sure. I understand. Yes. But one, of, one of the things that I, and I think this kind of goes along with what you said, Paul, but one of the things that I like to talk to my team about is, you know, we use the concept of IDSing an issue. And I like to ask my team, is this an emergency or is this something that we can IDS during our next level? Technique? IDS meaning? Identify, discuss, and solve. Okay, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The the principles are very similar with traction, but you know, we're all people that want to please. We want to solve people's problems. You know, I know I'm totally like that and I'm sure you guys are too. Absolutely. But just pausing and rather than just rushing straight into action, thinking about what really was the root cause of why this is a problem in the first place. And that's what you solve. This has been very insightful. I I told you before you're your speech, which if anybody wants to watch it, it is available on YouTube, where you talked about this concept as well, was very insightful to me. And I know all these things in my head, and I just need to get started on being a better leader and and being better about running my business like a franchise. So I appreciate you taking this time to talk with us and really to say, how do we apply the whole concept of a franchise model to a machine shop? And I'm sure Paul would be happy to answer anyone's questions. If you want to reach out to Paul on LinkedIn, Paul Van V-A-N space M-E-T-R-E or go to ProShopERP.com. Yeah, like meter except spelled incorrectly. Exactly. Yes, right, Paul? Exactly. The, the, Dutch, the Dutch way. Not is that what it is? Oh, it's not incorrect. It's Dutch. <laughs> but it's a pleasure having you in our studio today and, and hearing a little bit more insight as to how this all came together and the franchise philosophy and how ProShop was birthed out of thinking like a franchise. So My pleasure. You know, you guys always start that manufacturing is difficult. I feel like we're all in this together to we try are. to make American manufacturing better. So I'm happy to help. Anyway, I can. I think we're doing a great job. So, Jason, I hope you're not going to go out and start a franchise machine shop. I don't. I don't need any more competition. No, although I, I, I don't think I have too much. No, I've got. I've got two things that I'm thinking about. A, you know, I want to franchise my industrial supply company, and B, I wish that Pro Shop was built for a industrial supply company. I'd love to use it. Definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> never will be. Yeah. It came from a machine shop, built for machine shops, and I think that that's that's a wonderful thing. So, at the end of the day, we, what do we want to tell our listeners that are listening to us right now? Did they, if they liked this episode? So what do they? What do you want them to do? I want them to rate and review iTunes. Okay, I don't. And tell I don't, us why. I don't have an Apple product. You could still go to iTunes. You could still use iTunes. Tell us why you like making chips. Give us five stars. You can really use whatever podcast player you're you're comfortable with, and, and give us a review. 
Sounds yeah, good. And, to me. And, and for the subject, it's very simple. Just write Jim or Jason with who you like better in the subject, <laughs> and then put the reasons. <laughs> who is, who is funnier, Jim or Jason? Yeah. Well, that, that we know that. Yes. Just <laughs> of, like of course we do. Anyway, at the end of the day, you can also connect with us on LinkedIn. You know our names. I'd like to close out the show with that mantra that my dad used to tell me when I was a young man back in the eighties: If you're not making ships, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. As always. Thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. I'm, I'm going to do my Jim Carr impression. Wait, stop. Say, yeah, I, stop. <laughs> I just, I just got to comment on it right now. I, 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 I do have a question.